0: How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M.
1: He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted to... When you got all the advantages... Welcome to the Aggie War Pod, a product of the Republic of Football Podcast Network and Dave Campbell's Texas Football. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. The other voice you'll hear on this podcast is a barbecue-eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or an off-key rendition of Creed. The former Fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman arrived in College Station as a three-star prospect back in 2013. He now resides in Houston, but his heart never left. Ladies... Gentlemen reveille I present the one, the only, the engaged, Jay Arnold. Jay, how's it going?
0: Yeah, speaking of uh not shying away from road trips, right? Uh just uh just closed off one right before college football season. And uh as you mentioned, I, I am now an engaged man. So uh it was a it was a fantastic road trip, fantastic vacation, fantastic weather uh for for all this before we get into what i'm sure is going to be a busy busy college football season
1: yeah jay uh like a true friend sent me a text message of the temperature that he was experiencing on like tuesday or wednesday uh real real asshole behavior but i, I respect it i would have done the exact same thing uh golfed at angel fire then got engaged okay so i got engaged in march um of this year no may Man, no march i think that's correct sorry uh, I've, it's been a long you know magazine season all that kind of stuff it it blends in there i think march i had a game plan going in i wanted to ask at the very beginning of the trip i asked it was a 5 day trip i asked on day 1 that way i was on cruise control the rest of the 5 days like she couldn't get mad at me i had earned all my points right like we were going to have the best vacation ever. If it happened day one, did you have a game plan? What was your kind of strategy going into how you were going to do this on, on engagement vacation trip?
0: So I did it the opposite. I waited until the very last day of the the trip. Uh, and and we had one more night at the hotel and then we were on the road back home that way. Uh, I would find out, you know, I wasn't going to let it ruin like the beginning stages of the trip, but I would find out that way uh, in case, you know, I was pretty confident she was going to say yes. But if she did say no, that I would be able to uh, divert the the road trip home and m- maybe drop her off at an airport. <laughs> 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 but thankfully, that was avoided. She said yes. Uh, and we got a, a great view out of uh, the spot. And uh, it, it's a place that's real special to me in Red River, New Mexico. And uh, now hopefully it'll be really special for her, too.
1: Yeah, way to solidify your ability to return to that spot over the rest of your life. That was very smart. I just now realized that that's what you did there on on the location deal. Like, hey, we got to go back. I mean, that's where we got engaged. You know, it's (laughs) going to be a big, big important thing. So that was solid. Um, Yeah, so congratulations to you again. I would like to point out your time management, not great. You got 12 months out of the year, uh, four months of those are college football season, and you decided let's try to jam everything we can into the month of August. How's, how's that going for
0: you? Yeah, uh, so it really started like three weeks ago with the road trip to Richmond, right? And and that was, you know, a, a 3,000 mile trip. And then I decided to plan this vacation for us, uh, another about 3,000 miles probably covered uh, between all the stuff that we did and all the sites we saw. Uh, but yeah, uh, time management right i am i'm doing all this and then the part that we haven't mentioned yet is i pick up the keys for my new apartment later today yeah. so yeah. crazy uh,
1: person but sicko behavior
0: yeah and honestly the worst part of all this time management is deciding that i was going to move in august uh for those of you unfamiliar with houston weather in august not fun <laughs> yeah
1: Our houston weather most months out of the year yeah. not not so- fun with that humidity
0: And that way you're getting a little bit of revenge for me sending that text uh, to you. Uh, So I did get to experience, you know, like temperatures in the fifties in Colorado and and New Mexico last week, but I'm going to pay for it dearly by moving furniture in August. I I mean, it's
1: hot, it's hot, man. It's hot. I don't know. I'm not going to get into a global warming discussion with anybody, but I've been doing ranch work for 38 years of my life. And this is brutal, man. Like it is, it is hot. Like it, There is no water out there. Growing hay costs like a million dollars because of the water you got to spend to grow it. The cows don't even walk around. They just like hang out under like a tree for like 15 hours out of the day. Uh, It's pretty insane. There's no respite for it. Um, So I'm glad you were able to get away from it a little bit. Hopefully it, it breaks for us relatively soon. I feel like every single day I open up my weather app, like in the morning, it's become one of my habits just to see if that next last day will like finally say 92 I'll be like, okay, we just got to make it to there. Uh, and every single time I do that, the next day is just 104. Yeah. Like, I think we just live at 104 now in central Texas. So that's where we're at.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the other side. I got to see rain while I was up in the mountains. Oh, my I God, hadn't, water. I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, that's
1: true. I think it's been since June here in Austin uh, since it's rain. I mean, it's just, it's wild, man. Absolutely wild. I, the fall can't come here quick enough. That is for sure.
0: Yeah normally it's going up to the mountains and seeing what the fire danger is uh this time it was coming back and seeing <laughs> wildfire warning signs basically from uh from like Vernon down to to Houston it was just fire fire warning signs all along the way
1: well, it was a wildfire for the Texas Aggies in 2022. Uh, they're hoping it's a little bit better in 2023. And that's what this podcast is going to be about. We're going to talk about the 2023 season. Uh, for new listeners, we, we separate it into four downs, kind of like a football game. Um, we'll break it into four different topics. We'll do offense and first down, defense and second down. Uh, we'll kind of just look at the schedule and overall season and third down. And then fourth down, we're going to talk about uh, just Jay and I's plans for the college football season, where you can find us and what we're going to be up to uh, before we get going. You know, please rate, you know, five star, subscribe, download all that stuff. Tell a friend. You know, that's how we grow this podcast. We're having a lot of fun doing it. We hope you're having a lot of fun listening to it. Uh, promo code whoop at home field apparel, W H O O P. You can get 15% off your first order. They're going to have some stuff coming out this week. That's supposed to be pretty cool. Uh, I know TCU Baylor, uh, are going to get their own. A and had at a release not too long ago. I mean, this summer uh, for sure. So go ahead and, and look at home field apparel. Get you some t-shirts. Uh, get you some merch before the season starts. Some cool stuff there. Uh, let's jump it off. Jay, first down. Offensive breakdown. Um, you know, obviously the big story of the off season was was Bobby Petrino getting hired as offensive coordinator. Uh, who's going to call plays? What it's going to look like? Scale of one to ten. Ten being. Bobby has complete autonomy. How much do you think this is Bobby P's offense going into 2023?
0: I'm going to put it as an eight. Uh, I like it. That's good. I I think he has most of the autonomy, but I'm like you with, well, I think we've said this ad nauseum on the podcast. Let's see what happens when it's a close game late and, and Jimbo gets a little bit itchy on the trigger finger uh, with, you know, kind of a, a late game offensive plan. Uh, I think Bobby Petrino is going to have the control, but I want to see what happens when there's a little bit of duress, uh, before I give him the full 10.
1: Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I'm at as well. I mean, I, I've joked about this on this podcast before, but we, you'd sit in the press box and laugh at Gary Patterson. Cause he'd come out in the second half with a different colored shirt on. And you're like, Oh, Gary P's taking over play call. You know, like he, he's going to be the man now again, because he doesn't like the way the defense is playing. You just kind of wonder, What the Jimbo Bobby relationship is going to be like, you know, when when the when the arrows start flying and it's twenty to seventeen in the fourth quarter, but that's probably true for most head coaches and offensive coordinators. You get a lot more autonomy when you're up twenty points or you know early in the game. A lot of head coaches are probably in their OC's ear, especially late in in game. So we'll see how that dynamic uh, works out. I'm more. And it's more that for me, it's more about their personalities. And and maybe I'm overrating that, but they're just both kind of fiery guys. And so it's going to look weird optically occasionally on the sideline. And Jimbo just has to be prepared to answer those questions. And the fan base is going to have to get used to just watching those two maybe yell at each other on occasion because that's just that's just how they operate. But I have my opinion is and I don't know if this is a hot take or not. I am not as worried about the Texas A&M defense, or offense as we as I am about the defense, and we'll talk about that in the second, second down. I think that for the offense, as long as they have some identity, they do some new stuff, kind of gussy it up a little bit, the talent is there for this to be the bounce-back breakout group of, of the 2023 college football season.
0: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I do think I'm a little more worried about the offense just because there are some key pieces that I still have questions about. Uh, and if they're going to take steps forward, I think the talent, no doubt, right. The talent, no doubt that, that this should be a better group and they should improve on last year. Uh, but I still have some questions about one position group and one position in particular.
1: Well, let's talk about it. What, what is, what is the thing that keeps Jay Arnold from being all in on, on the Texas Aggie offense right now?
0: Uh, right now it's the offensive line and then quarterback, uh, so with the offensive line, I think they need to take a big step forward. And again, the talent is there to do so. Uh last year they weren't healthy at all. Uh you get a little bit healthier this year and you get a little more of that continuity and I think the offensive line takes a huge step forward. But we have to see that before I'm confident that the offense as a whole will take a step forward. Uh obviously, I mean you look at Bryce Foster missing a ton of games last year and and you know when you lose your center, I think that's a huge blow uh so we'll see what happens as far as as that this year if, if guys are able to stay healthy if they are i think the that's primed for a fantastic year from the offense because the skill positions are are incredible but i mean we've already seen uh a guy that i think was going to be a very key player in this offense go down with injury right i mean that just talking about donovan green uh it just shows you how uh, fragile things can be as far as what you're looking at going into the season and and how things will shake out and then the flip side of that again the other side that i mentioned is quarterback play uh, obviously Connor Wagman closed out the season fantastically but he's a true freshman uh, i think there's still a lot of questions about how much he can take over a game uh, and and i think a lot of a lot of today's game depends on quarterbacks being able to do that so he has the weapons around him we'll see uh, we'll see if he can capitalize on that He doesn't need to be Johnny Manziel, Uh,
1: and I think that that's an important factor. Like, he doesn't need to walk in there and be Bryce Young. He doesn't need to win a Heisman. He doesn't need to be the best player on the football field. He just can't be the impediment to winning. He can't. He can't make you go backwards. And one thing we did see from Connor last year that that to me will translate to another year. He didn't turn the ball over. You know, there was times where he probably could have taken some more chances and pushed the ball down the field and taken some risks. And you know, maybe I've talked to some offensive coordinators that have told me. You know, you you media nerds look at interceptions wrong. You know, sometimes that number lies, and we want them to take those shots. And low interception rates mean um, <clears throat> that the quarterback's not really pushing down the field. It's check down Charlie stuff. Uh, but I think I think Wegman's going to take a step forward. You know, Bobby's offense is usually pretty quarterback friendly. It's going to be simpler, if not anything. You know, like I knew that about the offense this year. It is going to be easier on the quarterback than it has under Jimbo Fisher at, at Texas AM. Uh, but I agree with you about the offensive line. And I think we can narrow it down even further than that. And I, I believe you agree with me that guard to guard Texas AM should be fine if they're healthy. You know, as long as they're Bryce healthy. As long as Bryce Foster's healthy and stuff. And and all of these conversations kind of depend on if they're healthy, yeah. right? Like I mean, anything, you know, health yeah that's health. it's
0: definitely me hedging there a little right.
1: bit. Right. <laughs> you gotta you gotta I almost kind of look at this stuff like you have to presume health and just like that, you know, and if if it breaks down and you know, we talk about UTSA being a, a favorite or something. Frank Harris gets hurt. They're six and six or something. You know, so it's all it's all about staying healthy. Uh, but if Bryce Foster is back and is healthy uh, and had a good offseason, as, as I've heard that he did, uh, I think guard-to-guard A&M is really good. It's just those tackle spots. And if they can really handle the elite edge rushers they're going to see across the SEC at the tackle position.
0: Yeah, and while I think the health on the interior of the line is important, I think the ability to get better at the tackle position is more important, right? Like even when healthy, the tackle position struggled last year. Uh and should take a, take a step forward. Uh, Fathery, if he's healthy, uh, should take a step forward. And then, I mean, you know, it, it's, there's guys waiting in the wings, right? Like uh, Basantis who's apparently been pretty, pretty, good in camp
1: does that worry you that they're talking so much about a freshman offensive tackle because sometimes i see this as like is he playing really well behind the scenes or is jimbo talking him up because he knows he's gonna have to put him out there pretty early and he wants the fan base to understand that it's because he's playing really well not because the other guys haven't taken that step does that am i looking too far into that or does that worry you a little bit
0: i mean anytime a a true freshman is in the too deep of an offensive line it's worrisome yeah. in my opinion, uh, just because of the physicality of the position and and being able to adjust to the speed of the game. With that being said, obviously, Besantis came in in the spring. That helps a little bit. It, it does help a little bit. But I still would not prefer to have a, a true freshman in the two deep uh, at the offensive tackle position. Uh, with that being said, if he's good enough, he's good enough, right? Like, you know, uh, you're going to play your best guys. And if a true freshman rises to the occasion and is an immediate impact player, by all means, play him. I just think that when you see a true freshman in the two deep of an offensive line in the SEC, it's more of a red flag about depth than it is uh, a positive sign. But again, I could very much be wrong. There are times where we talk about this Texas A&M team
1: at a few spots and you you go, I thought they'd been recruiting really well. You know what I mean? Like there's like there shouldn't be the way that they've recruited the last couple of years. There shouldn't be a a spot as important as offensive tackle where a true freshman can come in and immediately be that good. Right. Right. That's like a year two year three problem with the coach. It shouldn't be a year five problem with the coach. And it shouldn't be one after you've signed such highly rated recruiting classes over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah. And it's like
1: linebacker is another spot. I think that way
0: linebacker and offensive line, they both just seem thin. And I, I feel better about the depth at of offensive line, honestly, because you do have a lot of guys on the interior that are, that are really, really talented. I mean, Cam Duberry, who's a young guy, Martin Naboo, who played a lot. Uh, but you can also tell that they're worried about the depth of the offensive line because in the recruiting, and we don't have to get into all the recruiting, but uh, in this recruiting class for 2024, there's already a high, like a a push for offensive line. I think they've already got five guys committed and uh, they're still pushing to get more. So I think they can see that there's a little bit of a depth issue as well uh, as far as guys going to be leaving after this year and and who's going to step up and fill those places.
1: Yeah, I mean, A&M's won that defensive line recruiting head-to-head battle with Texas a lot, DJ Hicks, a lot of those kind of guys. Texas has kind of won that offensive line battle. You can see the pendulum kind of swing. I mean, Kelvin Banks, those kind of guys, DJ Campbell – Uh, those kind of guys and so you know I've always been interested in how A&M and Texas can be good at the same time for most of the history I've ever looked up and for most of my life it always seemed like one was good when the other one was bad and now that A&M and Texas going to the SEC how will that recruiting work and can both offensive lines be really good at the same time is there enough talent within the state and the country to do that I think that's going to be a, a fun battle to watch but uh, yeah. I mean, anytime a true freshman is getting talked about, you know, that much of tackle, that's, that's a little worrisome um, for sure. But we just talked about Texas. Kelvin Banks started all games last year for Texas is probably the best offensive line of the state. So I mean, maybe the kid's just that good uh, to where you can't keep him <laughs> off the field. That's, that's, that's the glass half full view, you know, is that he's just, he's just so damn good. You can't, can't do anything about it.
0: Yeah. And again, Fathery has been banged up in, yeah. in fall camp and uh, I mean, he got an injury there at the very end of spring, which hampered his ability to come back. So Part of that, part of Besant being talked about, too, is, you know, maybe Jimbo does ease Fathery back into the game. Uh, maybe you don't see him take the full load against uh, New Mexico early in the season, right? So there's a lot of factors that could go into it. But again, it's it's part of what makes me reticent about this offense is because we have still some questions about the offensive line. How big is the Donovan Green loss? I think it's pretty big because I think he's an incredible uh, playmaker, but, but at the same time, I think that this tight end room at AM uh has a lot of depth, right? Yeah. I think Jake Johnson's going to be a factor. He was going to be a factor, even if Donovan Green was healthy. Now it's kind of just his turn to take over that tight end position. You have Max Wright, who's you know the senior leader in the group. And, and I think we'll keep everything together. Uh, I mean, you have the big Swede and uh, Theo Mellon Ostrom, right? Like, he, we haven't talked about him a lot, but he got some, some play time last year. And uh, as raw as he is, like, he still has a lot of physical abilities. Uh, and, I mean, Fernando Garza, too. Like, he had some some pretty good plays there in the spring game. So it's going to be a loss. But I think with Jake Johnson and and everybody else in that tight end room, I don't know if it's as worrisome as if somebody in the starting offensive line group went down. Yeah, I mean, you never want to lose a a starting
1: player of that nature. And definitely an all-conference type player. And, you know, for the player, you never want to see somebody get injured. But if you're going to lose a guy, tight end seemed like a spot, you could lose a guy, maybe wide receiver, maybe tight end uh, on the offensive side of the ball. There's so many weapons uh, there for A&M. One one guy shouldn't be able to dictate how well they do offensively. You know, we've talked a lot about the skill position player. I don't know if there's much need to talk about the wide receivers and what they can do. I mean, you know, Evan Stewart, Anaya Smith, Moose Muhammad, uh no thomas like we can just go on and on and down the list they're going to be loaded there they're going to be one of the better units there in the country before we move to defense let's talk running back for just a second like do you i don't know if it even matters right if like who starts and uh who ends up being the like do you think this is a a committee deal the whole time or do you believe that one of these guys ends up becoming kind of the dude you know by the second half of the season
0: I think it'll be committee early, and I think Ruben Owens ends up being the guy by the second half of the season. Uh, and that's kind of just I, – I was reticent to, to talk about Ruben Owens, again, true freshman. Uh, but I look at what he's done both in the spring and now in fall camp, and it just seems like everybody's just kind of blown away by his mix of athleticism. And also, he's a natural pass catcher. Right. Which is not something that a lot of guys have as a freshman coming out as a running back. Uh, so the fact that he's already going to be a factor in that side of the game and the fact that he has a little bit of everything, a little bit of shiftiness, a little bit of power uh, makes me think that he's going to be a, a star pretty quickly. And and while I think that it's going to be a committee to start out the year, I think by the back half of it, you'll see Ruben Owens take over a lot of touches.
1: I agree. You know, Petrino in his one press conference as an Aggie talked about FTS, feed the studs. And if you're trying to get your best five skill position players on the field, um, Ruben Owens is going to be one of those guys. Like in space, he's just going to be one of your two or three best players with the ball in his hands. You have to figure out a way for him to get 10 touches, like at least. Right. And I think that number uh, may grow by the second half of the year. But, I, you know, honestly, I, I think running back's going to be fine. I, maybe you disagree with it. I've always felt a like running back's more of a function of the offensive line. Like the running game is more a function of the offensive line than the running back. Give me really good offensive line, solid running back over a really good running back, solid offensive line. So again, this, the, the ability to run the ball and stay balanced for AM to me becomes an offensive line question more than is yeah. running back question. Cause I think all three of those guys can tote the rock enough to be successful.
0: Yeah. And, and a did have success running the ball last year, but I think it was more in spite of the offensive line. Uh, and because of Devon A chain, yeah, yeah, uh, than, than it was because of uh, the offensive line succeeding in the the run block. And I, I will say, too, that I think run blocking is easier for the offensive line than, than pass blocking is. But uh, AM needs to improve on, on both sides of that for the offensive line, right? Protecting the passer and uh, opening up holes for the running back. Like you said, if the offensive line is playing well in the run game, then. You can be interchangeable there as long as guys aren't aren't turn, giving the ball away. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens again. I expect the offensive line to take a step up and and make it so that all three of the running backs that we've talked about can have success. But uh, I'll uh, I'll still stick to my guns and say that I think uh, Ruben Owens can be one of those guys that transcends offensive line play. Uh, by the end of his career and, and and be a guy that even if the guys in front of him aren't blocking well he can make up for some of those mistakes
1: yeah I mean to that point that may be why he's the best running back for the job for this and you know it's like when you pick a quarterback that can scramble a little bit because you know your offensive line you know maybe not hell you know hold up you know Owens is one of those guys that can do more with less uh, you know he's called the black unicorn for a reason I love that nickname we we're, were really hoping at Dave Campbell's that he would have been on like the recruiting magazine cover one time just to use that. Uh, headline but we went with dj hicks just because he was the top player in the state and uh, el campo didn't have a huge year uh, owens his senior year so we had to go the other way but black unicorn would have been tremendous headline on dave campbell's texas football magazine cover that uh would have been that would have been nice that would have been nice that kid is really really good uh, excited to see him. one of the probably one of the top five true freshmen i'm most excited to see uh, in the state is ruined owens at a&m. Uh for second down, let's turn it over uh to the defensive side of the ball, god side of the ball as we like to call it here uh on the Aggie War podcast. Uh, Jay, let's start with your bread and butter, cornerback play. Not am Uh defensive <laughs> line play. Uh you know, the Aggies on paper, I mean, find me a better defensive line in the country than Texas A&M. Are there any concerns that you have kind of what, let's start with the negatives first. Like what are some things that like up front, you go, this needs to happen, or this may be a, a concern that we're not talking about enough.
0: Yeah. So last year, obviously, AM was atrocious against the run. Uh, I think a lot of that was youth. Uh, some of that was, was lack of health again, where you're, you're rotating guys in that uh, maybe a little bit before they're ready. Uh, but it sure seems like AM should be better in that aspect of the game, which brings me to the other concern sacks. Uh, and rushing the passer, which a struggled with last year. Uh, as bad as they were at defending against the rush, they also struggled to sack opposing quarterbacks and gave up, in my opinion, a lot of lengthy scrambles uh, when they could have had sacks and, and, and could have kept quarterbacks in the, in the backfield for loss uh, that, that hurt the defense quite a bit and made the defense stay out on the field. Uh, obviously, against the pass, a was good last year. But again, I think part of that is because teams knew they were going to have success running the ball. And even if they called a designed pass, they were still able to run uh, with the quarterback escaping the pocket. So what I'm looking at is discipline from the defensive line. I'm looking at staying in your gap in run plays and then staying in your rushing lanes against the pass when you're trying to get to the quarterback. Uh Cause again, I didn't see AM get blown off the ball last year. Even with young guys in there, the, those guys were able to hold, but they're they're getting out of their gaps. So if AM on the defensive line with the amount of talent that they have, takes a step forward and plays disciplined football, stays in their gaps, stays in their rushing lanes against the passer, this team should be a lot better, uh, even with the concerns at linebacker.
1: Is that just a maturity part of a defensive lineman going, hey, I used to be able to do whatever I wanted to just dominate this game and it's learning how to play within the scheme rather than just try to go superstar it every time?
0: It's a big part of it. And again, like those young guys weren't getting blown off the ball. Like that's one issue. And, and, you know, that can be fixed by maturity as far as in the weight room. What I saw was a team that maybe tried to make plays a little too much uh you're constantly throwing your head in the wrong gap early trying to to keep a guy from getting to the next level instead you kind of have to trust the guys behind you uh you know sometimes a running back may not make the right read and runs into you but a lot of the times you're going to depend on the linebacker to scrape off of you and make the play uh, as a defensive lineman it's not necessarily your job to, to make every tackle uh, a lot of times it's it's your job to put the guys behind you in the right position to make the play and and uh, not muddy the picture for them, right? You're, you're trying to create this clear picture so that the linebackers know which gap they're fitting. Uh, if you're constantly throwing into other gaps early, uh, the linebacker isn't able to see the correct picture. Uh, and and I think that you're right in that. It's it's a disciplinary issue that comes with guys who are used to being able to make all the plays, Uh and, and kind of depended on to make all the plays right at the, mm-hmm. at the high school level. Whereas when you get to the college level, you're much more of a cog in the machine in, in that you need to play assignment football in order to give your team a chance to win. And, and it's kind of an, it's definitely an adjustment for guys. Uh, so I think that one more year in the system allows them to adjust to that way of thinking a little bit more.
1: It kind of reminds me of that, like, uh, you know, a bull and its son is kind of looking over a a field of heifers and and the cow, like the young one goes, hey, dad, let's run down there and fuck one of those cows. And the dad goes, well, let's just walk down there and fuck them all. You know what I mean? And like that, like do your job, you know, like just just do your job. Uh, You don't have to go do every single thing all of the time. Um, Do you think this is more like, is there anything Durkin needs to do schematically different or is it just like execute what we're trying to do? And that's enough.
0: I would like to see a little bit of that FTS philosophy from Bob Petrino on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, But instead of, you know, feeding the studs, you're getting the studs on the field, know where you're strongest on the defensive line and and get those guys in a position to make plays. Uh, I would like to see in that vein, more four man fronts just so that you have your best players on the field. Because I think, uh, when you, when you look at this defensive line, the strength of it is on the interior. So mm-hmm. if you're playing a three man front with one interior defensive lineman, uh, and then, and Fidel Diggs and, and Shamar Turner at the defensive ends, I think you're taking away. Cause like, I want to have McKinley Jackson and, and Walter Nolan on the field at all times. If I can uh, those two together are just, uh, a real, real problem uh, <laughs> yeah. for, for any an, any defensive or any offensive line. And, I mean, again, like with Walter Nolan slimming up, maybe he slits, slides out to uh, that, that defensive end spot in a three-man front. But for my money, I, I would just rather see uh, a four-man front with Diggs and, and Turner at the ends and then uh, McKinley Jackson at nose and Walter Nolan at three. Uh, personally, that's what I would love to see. And I, I just don't think we saw – a ton of four man fronts last year. And I think it was kind of detrimental to AM. But I, I also don't know if the guys were ready uh to to play as much four down defensive lineman last year.
1: Gonna put you on the spot. Who you have before we move to the second level, who do you have being the leading sacker for AM this year?
0: So this is an interesting one, right? Uh, because it's it's something that AM struggled with last year. Uh Fidil Diggs flashed a lot. And I think he has the ability to be a playmaker uh, as far as rushing the passer. So the the easy bet is on Fadil Diggs, but I I just I really think that Malik Silla with with his length and 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 speed and bend, even if he isn't getting all of the snaps, uh, I think he'll get in on obvious passing downs a bit and and be the guy that A looks to 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 pressure the passer. Uh, so as a dark horse candidate, I will have Malik Silla uh, as a sack leader.
1: I like it katie native uh maybe a houston homer pick right there we'll have to to check the tape
0: well Uh, i'm a dfw guy originally
1: (laughs) and not anymore though when did you trade in that card
0: i don't know probably probably when i realized the food in houston's way better
1: (laughs) yeah yeah the only thing worse in houston's the humidity yeah. Uh, everything else is better I idea I'm not a big DFw guy that's for a different show but I'm just not not a huge DFW guy it goes back...
0: partial to Fort Worth versus Dallas as well
1: yeah Fort Worth's fine I guess it's the D and the DfW honestly mine goes back to being a high school reporter and I feel like DFW media and like the whole like dfw high school hype train just claims every single high school that's good at football if it's within a thousand miles of dfw like all of a sudden brock became a dfw school when they started winning state football championships it's like do y'all know how far brock is out there you know what i mean like didn't i don't know i just it just it just seems dfw is as big as they want it to be and i just it kills me on the on the high school football side
0: understandable yeah
1: yeah that's a random rant there okay move it let's go actually let's go to secondary next because i feel like linebacker is probably the bigger discussion the safety position seems beyond loaded Brad. Right? i mean damani richardson uh harding gilbert's gonna be really good like all those guys are gonna be really good uh, i think bryce anderson's gonna be a, a superstar uh, antonio johnson's a hard guy to, to replace obviously uh, but i think bryce anderson's gonna be good and kind of offer something maybe a little bit different uh than johnson did at that nickel spot able to play better coverage, guy. better coverage guy just a little bit more athletic you know i think just kind of like a freer uh, uh football player he's going to be good against right i just i think bryce anderson is going to be really really good is there a, a concern for you at all within that secondary i mean this is a, a group that led the nation and and past defense last year do you think they're going to be as good uh this year or is there there's
0: some concerns at all yeah i mean I'm a little bit concerned about the corner position, but not really that much. Uh, it just feels like safety is so solid that there's no concerns there. Uh, so if I'm nitpicking the corner, just kind of curious to see who steps up there. Tariq Chappelle is obviously going to be one starter, uh, but we'll see if there's going to be like more of a rotation at corner uh, with the guys that have been brought in uh, like Josh Berry, uh, Tony Grimes and and Sam McCall. Uh, that's a lot of a lot of talent in the transfer portal that they gained. Uh, but if there is a question, it's still at corner. With that being said, I'm not really worried about the secondary.
1: Yeah, I mean, Javon Thomas has been a name that, that's been mentioned by, you know, some of the reporters who have been on the ground and watched some of the, the open practices and stuff, you know, that that's going to have some playing time too. I think we all kind of just assume Tony Grimes would be that other guy. And it doesn't seem like that's going to be true. It seems like he's going to play – Uh, some nickel. I always kind of thought, I think we've talked about this on the show, like he's probably more of a safety body uh, than a corner, you know, so maybe they get uh, kind of, you know, interesting there at nickel with Bryce Anderson and what they do. But yeah, corner opposite of Chappelle seems to be the only question mark, but there's so much talent in that secondary room. You just assume that they're going to figure that out. Uh, I think getting after the quarterback is going to be the thing that helps that secondary out the most. Um, So let's, let's get to it. Let's get to the the real defensive discussion. Uh, Linebacker, like how much of a step forward does that group need to make in 2023 for this? Because de- to me, that was where the running issues really were. And some of that may be a defensive line getting out of the gap, but just as a layman watching A&M defense, it's like, oh, they just don't have a second level. Like I don't even know where they are.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's definitely uh, the impetus of, of the run defense, I think, is on this linebacking crew. Uh, the talents there, I think Russell and, and Cooper are both uh, – talented guys the depth is not there right so if either cooper or russell go down uh you turn to a true freshman to, to step up in a hurry because target york is is going to be that guy who i, and I think he's going to be an excellent player but again i don't necessarily want to see a true freshman uh thrown right into the fire so i'm expecting a step up but again this hinges on health uh we'll see how it shakes out uh, obviously, would have liked to keep some of those transfers in the program for a depth aspect. Uh, Andre White, I think, is the, uh, the big loss there uh, for, from a depth perspective. But uh, I, I, I am reluctantly saying that this linebacking crew will take a step forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jarintae Davis is the transfer from Jackson State. Who, you know, it's a pretty solid player. You just don't know how that kind of translate, what that jump is going to do to him. I, you know what? A name that I don't hear as much that I thought I'd start him is Martrell Harris. I yeah. thought, you know, just as a guy who's kind of like in that gap between young guy and experienced guy, maybe he'd take a step forward. Uh, this doesn't have to be just a Harris conversation because I don't want to pick on him, but in general how many years into college football do you know what that guy is yet? You know, like, is there like, you know, do you know what I mean? Like if you, if, if a guy is who he is in in year three, like, is that just who he's going to be forever? Or are there there an opportunity to really take a step forward multiple years into your college career?
0: I think that there is a step like an opportunity to take step forward multiple years into your college career because you're still so young, right? Like your third year of college football, you may only be 20 years old, 19 years old. Uh, so there's still a lot of development going on physically and a lot of development going on mentally. Sure. Uh, like you may all of a sudden have something click and and see the game in a completely different light
1: or start taking it seriously in a way that you didn't before your body or something like that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, maybe you make diet adjustments, maybe you discover something that was kind of holding you back in the, in the kitchen as much as on the field. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are any number of things that can allow people to take a step forward later in their career. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's more time in the film room. Right. I mean, I'm reluctant to give up on any of these guys just because it's uh, it's, it's, it's very early in your life. uh, And, and you're still going to get like the best as far as uh, you know, weight room uh, knowledge, nutritional knowledge, uh, and you know, if it may take some time to just like unlock all those things that could be holding you back, but yeah, I think guys can take a step forward three, four years into their career. I mean, you look at a guy, uh, who was just drafted from Texas tech, right. Started at AM yeah. and and did not get a lot of playing time, ended up transferring out. And all of a sudden, uh, the name's slipping me right now, Tyree Wilson, Tyree Wilson, uh, Obviously the physical tools are there, but didn't really put it together at AM. And then all of a sudden at Texas Tech, he becomes just a real issue for opposing offensive lines. All it takes is getting in the right scenario. Uh, you know, and obviously that's an example where a guy transferred out, but I think that can happen within a program as well. Uh so to answer that question, you know, maybe maybe we do see him get out on the field and take a step forward. That can be a, an aspect of it too. Sometimes getting thrown into the fire makes you makes you step up.
1: Yeah, I think they're like, and this is the fault of the media, not the player or anything, but I think guys get kind of lost in like a purgatory between we talk about the returning starters and then those exciting new faces that we think may emerge into the scene. And we forget about those guys kind of laying in the wings that have been there for a couple of years that are maturing that, you know, maybe not get as much run. If they can have somebody just come out like not, I guess not out of nowhere, but if Harris can be a reliable third option and take some of that off of a York. Uh, to be as good or you know if davis can be a, a solid transfer in that can be a, a serviceable player uh, but i'm with you i mean torian's the probably the most talented guy beyond those front two uh, and he's going to play play a lot he looked great in spring um, yeah. so we'll see see how he does there so uh you know defensively i think year two under Dur- like overall i think year two under durkin is gonna win out and then there's just so much talent to me there's just so much talent there that they have to be good yeah like, i i I'm not smart enough to tell you why and to break it, but like, I, I mean, they just, I go, I've gone to practice. Like you look around you're like, Oh my God, it looks like Georgia or Alabama or something. Like, you know, shut people out. Like they, they as, as good as a modern defense can be because you know, what is that? You know, like you're not going to keep hold teams to 13 points anymore, uh, but they should be a very fun defense that creates turnovers, has sacks and makes more plays than they did last year.
0: And, again, that turnover battle, too, is going to be a big part of it. If, if A&M can win the turnover battle, uh, I think you'll see this team surprise a lot of people.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that comes down to closing, like you said. Come up with a couple extra sacks a game that you were right near or a step away from getting. Get one or two more fumbles. Get a couple more interceptions with, like, a Bryce Anderson, uh, uh, you know, making some plays back there. And then all of a sudden that offense converts those, and now, you know, those are the fine margins that take you from 5-7 and seven to 10-2 and two like an LSU did uh under brian kelly last year uh before we move on to kind of the season overview stuff anything to talk about with special teams like i don't I, i'm not smart enough i don't know <laughs> i'm not going to sit here and lie to anybody yeah, i know i, mean, pun, I know punting is going to be good uh is going to be
0: good randy bond was pretty solid there at the end of the year uh between those two things i think uh, a&m will be all right as long as uh you know AM honestly kind of has a reputation for producing specialists right all the way back to uh, yeah. uh like shane leckler the punter position's always been pretty good at AM. Uh, So as far as special teams go, I think we'll see. I'm interested to see who's going to be returning kicks now that uh, Devon A. has graduated. But uh, I think there's going to be some weapons back. There's no shortage of weapons, right? A lot of guys that can, uh, can make plays. So I'm excited to see how special teams shakes out this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would think kick returns. Ruben Owens is pretty high up on that list. You know, maybe punt returns more of a Moose Muhammad or an Evan Stewart or, or something like that. But, yeah, I would see Owens as a kick returner pretty quickly. He was excellent as that at that as well at the high yeah, school the, level. Yeah, and I
0: Smith was punt returner. Yep. But I, I can't help but wonder if, like – I would protect him. Yeah, I, I'd protect him. You know,
1: maybe big games, right? You're playing against Alabama. You, you think you're in a good spot to get a return off or something because you got him pinned deep or whatever, but I just wouldn't have him standing back there to stand back there. Unless you had to uh, quickly on third down. Let's kind of just like go through the schedule real quick. I'll kind of go through the schedule. We'll, you know, I'll, I'll say the name you say, when I'll say win or loss or whatever. And if we disagree on one, we'll stop and talk about it a little bit more uh, first week. And we'll talk about this more next week in depth, obviously in each week, we'll concentrate a lot on, on what game they're playing that upcoming weekend. But, but New Mexico to start this one off Kyle field, September 2nd, 6 PM. Win should be a win <laughs> at Miami
0: when uh but i have this as one of the key games of the season
1: yeah for me we talked about that we did a a last week if you want to go back and kind of listen to like a season real schedule breakdown kind of went through more of the schedule and what we we're going to do or no, that was two weeks ago last week was the sec preview Um, uh, but at miami i think we 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 were talking about was you know, maybe going to be the thing that makes or breaks this year i know week two and maybe that's prisoner of the moment stuff uh, but if you tell me they beat Miami they're on track to to have a you know turnaround season they're still on that track right if they lose to Miami all of a sudden you know some alarm bells are going to go off and now 10 and two nine and three seems a lot harder uh to get there so that Miami almost feels like a must yeah. must win uh Louisiana Monroe and you know, obviously Man. that that's going to be be a win there it starts getting interesting probably around Auburn right week four uh what is the Hugh fight and Hugh freezes going to look like uh, I'll still go win there
0: I'll go win. if it was later in the season, I'd be a little bit more worried about it.
1: If they had a quarterback in Auburn, I'd be a little bit more worried about it. I hear the NIL in Auburn is good. I don't know how the hell they didn't get somebody from the, Ole Miss has got like four quarterbacks with real starting experience. Uh, Auburn's just taking whoever they can field. Uh, Arkansas, Southwest classic in Arlington. Always a weird ass game, but I'll take A&M there as well.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a win that takes five years off of my life.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe KJ Jefferson doesn't jump from the six yard line and and makes that one a little bit more difficult this <laughs> year. Uh, but that game is always like really weird banana pants stuff. There, uh, enjoy that one. I hope that one. I hope that you know when they go three six. I know it probably isn't going to last. I hope the A and M Arkansas thing sticks uh, because that's a great. I, I would I would go Arkansas LSU uh, Texas, but I don't think that's how that's going to break out if it does that.
0: Yeah. I'd like to keep the game and, and go to Fayetteville and get out of Jerry world. But again, I'm I'm like you, I, I just don't have faith. That that's how things are going to yeah. shake out.
1: I think LSU and Texas will be guaranteed. I think Arkansas will be the sacrifice and that's unfortunate Alabama uh, week six, a big one. I will be at that one already got my credential approved today. So we're, we're in business there. Uh, I'm going loss. I just, I don't know what Alabama is this year. But I'm not going to get caught on an August 21st recording saying A&M is going to beat Alabama. I think they can beat Alabama, but I can't predict them to do it.
0: Yeah, nor nor am I going to be that guy, especially, you know, I think we've already talked about it on this show. But uh, Nick Saban smiling in press conferences is yeah. a terrifying thought. Uh, I'm going a loss to Alabama as well. I, I will also plan on being there for that one.
1: I am a big believer in fading the public. And right now it feels like people are jumping on the Nick Saban bandwagon is dying. Like the end of the run is over. Kirby smarts, the King of college football. And, and that scares the hell out of me. Like that, that is when Nick Saban is at his scariest. <laughs> and so like Alabama 12 and zero is incoming in my opinion. Like, like, yeah, I would not be surprised at all. I don't know what there are at quarterback, but they're going to, they're going to be, they're not going to go like eight and four, you know, like people no. are acting like Alabama's done or something it's asinine. It's insane. Uh, at tennessee the next week i think this one's one of those weird toss-up games but i'm gonna go lost just because that's a hard place to play yeah
0: i this has been one that i flipped and flopped on quite a bit uh i now have it as a win uh but i am very reluctant in saying that just because i don't think a and gonna win, lose two in a row uh i think it's more that a&m gets the, the loss against alabama bounces back with a win against tennessee
1: south carolina at home
0: I have that as a win. Uh Beamer is one of those guys that scares me as a coach. I think he's a very intelligent guy and, and will have a good game plan. But they lost a lot in the portal. Yeah. Uh and I just think AM should be able to out talent them at home.
1: Yeah, I think South Carolina could be a surprise in the East. You know, if there can be a surprise, I mean Georgia's gonna win the East. But like in terms of like who's gonna be number two, I wouldn't be surprised if South Carolina Made a little bit of a push there, but uh, if, if this was on the road, I'd worry about it a little bit more. But but you're right. They lost a lot of talent. Uh, AMs is going to be the more talented team, especially in the trenches. So they should be able to win that football game. Uh, November 4th at Ole Miss. Uh, if I could go to an away game this year, I think this is the one I would pick. I think this is going to be a fantastic football game. I'm going to take Ole Miss uh, since they're at home.
0: I have Ole Miss in this one as well. Uh, I think this is my second loss that I have on AM's record. Uh, Oxford's going to be a tough place to play. I think if a and has like one hope, it's that the quarterback room at Ole Miss kind of implodes. Uh, but you talk about best players in the SEC, and, and Quinchon Jenkins has to be at or near the top of that list. I mean, I think he's just an incredible athlete, and, and he's going to make up for a lot of the issues that Ole Miss has offensively. Mississippi State going to win. I am going to win against Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State's kind of one of those programs that has been a thorn in A&M's side since A&M came to the SEC. But I, I just – I think A&M will be able to out-talent Mississippi State again, uh, especially at home and, and, and with another year under their belt uh, to kind of adjust to what Mississippi State does.
1: Uh, the Week 12 FCS punt game against Abilene Christian will go win there. Uh, yeah,
0: I think I'll yeah. go. I think I'll yeah. go with a win there.
1: Yeah, that's that's my least favorite thing about the SEC is just this random like at the end of the year bye week against an yeah. FCS opponent
0: thing. That's I crazy. personally loved it when I was playing, but you know, I bet yeah, you I, did. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. I understand. <laughs> if I was an AM fan, I'd love it too, right? You get that win. It's kind of a bye week. You get to rest up for that w- big game the next week at LSU to finish out the season.
0: Yeah, and I have this one as a loss as well. You're going into Baton Rouge uh and death valley is one of the toughest places to play on the planet uh in any sport so I, I think uh you know lsu fans chanting tiger bait is right up there with like americans going into a fight in brazil uh in like mma and, yeah. and the in the crowds chanting vai mohair at you which means you're gonna die in portuguese uh those two environments to me are very similar <laughs> So that's a, a a compl-
1: that's a big compliment. Like that, yeah. That's a, that's that's a major compliment right there. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think I have them losing this as, as well. I think, uh, you know, for me, I've always kind of gone back and forth between eight and four and 10 and two, like landing somewhere in between there. I think Alabama at home at LSU feel like the obvious losses on the, on the schedule, or maybe not yeah. obvious, but like the ones that are most likely. Yeah. Uh, and then for me, it becomes at Tennessee and at Ole Miss or the swing, Uh, For the Aggies, along with that at Miami game early on, like those three road games, Miami, Tennessee, Ole Miss, are are for me, the difference between 10 and two and seven and five. And also for me, the difference between Jimbo Fisher being the head coach in 2024 and Jimbo Fisher not being the head coach in
0: 2024. Yeah. And my my final record prediction is nine and three uh, with those losses to Alabama, Ole Miss and LSU. But I'm like you, Uh, Ole Miss and Tennessee feel like the biggest if games. LSU and Alabama feel like the most likely losses. Uh, There's a few other kind of sneaky ones in there. South Carolina and Auburn, I think, come to mind as far as home games that could be uh, a little bit tricky. And then Arkansas is always the Arkansas game. So that one's kind of scary too. But I have A&M at 9-3 and uh, as of right now, and I'm sure that will change uh, even between now and next week.
1: All right. We'll check back in next week to keep Jay Arnold's. Uh, we I think I've gotten a final record prediction from you every single podcast. So we're going con- <laughs> to continue that one on. Before we get out of here, let's do fourth down. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what we're doing this year. I, I know we both have some things we're excited about. Um, where are you going this year? What are your kind of play? I guess first, what A&M games are you going to get to? And then after that, kind of what are your side trips going to be?
0: Yeah, so right now I only have two A&M games penciled in, or actually three. Uh, let me take that back. I have three A&M games penciled in. Uh, Alabama at Texas A&M is, is the first one that I have penciled in that could change. Uh, Texas A&M at Tennessee. So I will be making the trip up to Knoxville, uh, nice. to, to Neyland Stadium. Pretty excited about that one.
1: Have you ever been to the Smoky Mountain National Park?
0: I have. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I kind of... I drove through Knoxville on the way to Richmond, okay. uh, but I have gone, I went in from the North Carolina side when I did it in 2020 uh, in the fall. That's the, only uh, about an
1: hour from Knoxville. You just go south yeah, through Gatlinburg and stuff.
0: Gatlinburg and, and Severville and all that yeah. up there. But it's uh, I mean, it's a gorgeous part of the yeah, country. Beautiful and, part of country. And that's
1: going to be a great time of year to be there.
0: Yeah. I, I uh, am trying to convince my parents because they're making the trip and, and kind of easing the cost of this mm-hmm. a little sure. bit which sure. is nice uh that we need to do a little bit of uh foliage mm-hmm. uh looking in in smoky mountain national park while no we're doubt. there no doubt and then AM at lsu uh is the last AM game that i have penciled in it's kind of a tradition now we go there thanksgiving weekend because it's on a saturday and we have that thursday and friday off anyway uh so i'll be making the trip down there to baton rouge the number one tailgate destination in america Baton Rouge for a Tigers game day in my opinion.
1: That's pretty epic, man. If you're going to go to three games uh on the Aggie schedule this year, uh home against Alabama, at Tennessee, at LSU is probably the top 3 draft picks. I mean, at Old Miss would be up there as well just cuz they're their pre-game facilities and I just i love the Lane Kiffin uh Jimbo Fisher kind of stick like wrestling thing that they got going on. Yeah. Um and so that that would be a lot of fun. But yeah, those are those are pretty epic trips right there. That's going to be exciting year. I know you're doing other stuff too. So what else you got going on?
0: Yeah, so I mean with that AM schedule, I have Kyle Field, Nealon Stadium, and Death Valley, three of the mm-hmm. top venues in college football. Yeah, I'm getting a fourth one in September next month. About this time, uh, I will be at Iowa at Penn State for the Whiteout, uh, which I am absolutely pumped for as a college football fan. Uh, that's probably the biggest game on my slate outside of uh, the A&M games. Uh, I have some other September games, too. Uh, Like I'm planning to be at UTSA at Houston to start off. Let's go. Let's go. Meet meet. me. Yeah.
1: We're going to beat Houston, by the way. I can say we on this podcast because it's not a, (laughs) you know, it's an Aggie podcast. UTSA going to knock off Houston.
0: Yeah. uh, Then I have a hunting trip the weekend after that. But then I'm planning to go to Austin for Wyoming at Texas. Uh, I am a Wyoming fan. 7220, the uh, the elevation of, of Laramie. I don't know if anybody knew that, but it is the <laughs> highest FBS stadium. Of course, they're not playing in Wyoming. I would uh, say Boulder. Texas, I would
1: say but... uh, Colorado is the highest uh, FBS stadium at all. Well, times, sorry, yeah,
0: yeah. that's a, that's a fair point. I just mean uh, by sure. Ge- sure. geographical sure. elevation. Sure. Uh, but yeah, Wyoming at, at Texas is on the the schedule for me. Uh, love getting over to Austin anytime I can. Uh, October brings me to the sinjay away trip which we've talked about the people of the internet elected to send me to fort lewis at south dakota school of the Mines and technology in rapid city south dakota october 21st so i will be there if you pull up their stadium o'hara stadium in rapid city uh you'll notice that it's a very unique design where you can tailgate from your car at the game on a terrace overlooking the stadium it's uh it's pretty cool uh I'm going to go see your Roadrunners again in November uh, at UNT. Wow, so I'll be at that one as well. Yeah, I'll be, so in, that'll I'll be, be there. that'll be a fun one. All right, that's perfect. That works out really well. Uh, I've already mentioned that I have AM at LSU for, for Rivalry Week in Baton Rouge. I may try to squeeze in an Egg Bowl trip for Thanksgiving that same weekend and see if I can't do the double there.
1: I love it. I love what you that's that's pretty nice. That's a that's a jam packed and exciting college football season right there.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm again I'm super pumped about the wide out. Super pumped about the uniqueness of the South Dakota Mines game. Uh, the Egg Bowl is tentative right now. I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk my job into into that, but uh, that could be a fun one as well. And then obviously all the AM games are going to be great.
1: That is going to be a good one. I'm I'm excited to watch. Uh, that. I'm a little jealous of, of some of those trips. As somebody I always stay in the state. You know, I kind of like that's kind of the job. I we've talked about this I think before on the podcast as well. When I took the job, I guess in my head I just made this uh, idea that I needed to stay in Texas, but I don't think that's true. Like I think my job would allow me to like go to Tuscaloosa if I wanted to, uh, because it's probably the same cost as it is to, like go to Lubbock or something. But I just feel like so texas centric that i mean I, I went to the fiesta bowl and i went to the national championship game uh but like week two you know AM's at miami texas is at Tuscaloosa, but i'm gonna be at, at oregon texas tech because like that's in the state and i feel like that's where i should be or whatever i don't know that's just kind of how i've interpreted the job in my head and i don't yeah. know if that's a true interpretation or not
0: which which to be fair uh oregon at texas tech should be a fun one.
1: Oh yeah i'm excited
0: uh You know, what I would do early in the season is I would try to find the uh, the climate that would be a little bit more uh, a little bit nicer to me in early September when some of those games are hot. Yeah,
1: I should have gone to El Paso first. Uh, There's no humidity in El Paso. I think everybody thinks of El Paso as like the desert. So it must be hot. It is not as hot as it is in Dallas or Houston or Austin as it is in El Paso. One, because of the humidity and two, because of the desert nights like it drops down enough to where it gives you a little bit of a reprieve. Um, from the heat overnight. I am pretty excited about what I'm doing in 2023. Uh, at Dave Gamble's Texas Football and uh, Texas Monthly, we're going to partner together and write a coffee book of the uh, the ultimate Texas college football ultimate guy. We haven't come up with the, with the name yet. Uh, but there's 13 FBS teams in the state of Texas now. Uh, there's 13 weeks in the college football season. So your boy, that's me, is going to go to a different FBS stadium in the state each week right? So, and then correspondingly, the book will be that chapter. So like week one, I'll be at Colorado at TCU. So that means the first w- chapter will be about TCU, Uh, you know, like the five best teams in their history, the five best coaches in their history, five best players in the history, restaurants around the stadium, right? Like all that kind of, everything. you know, notable alumni from that, yeah. from that school and stuff and try to, do different chapters for each one. I won't go through the whole schedule because it's 13 weeks, but I, I just want to brag about what my first six weeks are going to be. This is, this I think is pretty solid uh, week one, TCU Colorado, right? Dion Sanders, like his first game as, as a power five head coach. That's going to be a zoo. I think the Horn Frogs are going to put 70 on them, but still it's going to be fun to be there. Uh, I'm excited to see how the national guys spin their article. Like what, because yeah, i don't think the game's going to be good but like everybody's article is going to be pretty good so we're going to see how everybody writes about deon sanders there week two i'll be at oregon at tech that's going to be sold out at&t jones and outside of kyle field give me jones stadium in lubbock at night with a sellout over any other venue in the state of texas i think kyle field number one I mean, there's so many people just that's yeah. a that's its own category uh texas has a lot of people as well It's just not the same uh lubbock at night maybe it's because i was at the crabtree catch game and that's like my yeah. endearing uh view of what lubbock is at night but those people in west texas show the f up and i yeah. love i love going to big games in lubbock
0: i will say that like my second favorite venue at least from, like, a visually pleasing perspective. it has got to be the Sun Bowl uh, in El Paso. Obviously, the environment, the college football environment, probably not there. But uh, it is interesting to hear, like, you know, when Texas Tech is good, I I can see Lubbock being a place that is uh, fun to take in a game at, at night.
1: Yeah, especially at night, they start throwing tortillas. Everybody's dressed in black. Like it just like it really is a unique, awesome college football experience that that's very underrated. When they're not very good, and there's been a lot of years where they haven't been. Obviously, it loses that luster. But I think Big Fox News or Sports Sun, whatever the hell they call that stupid show, is going to be there on Saturday. It's going to be sold out against Oregon. Uh, McGuire's got them fired up. I think they're like the dark horse in the Big Twelve, but I don't even know if they're the dark horse anymore because everybody's talking about them so much. So so we'll see about that. Uh, week three, I will be at TCU at Houston. That's the first Houston Big Twelve game. Uh, Sonny Dykes, Dana Holgerson, thickest thieves—they're like best friends, so that'll be fun. Uh, week four, Texas at Baylor. Uh, last time, Texas is going to Waco. Uh, maybe forever. I don't. I don't know. The law, CDC, the the athletic director for Texas keeps saying that they are going to play these Texas teams again, but I don't believe them. And if they do, they're not going to go on the road for it. as you know. So uh, maybe we get a Baylor versus Texas in Austin, but it'll be a long time before the Longhorns uh, are back in Waco. Week five, you'll like this one. Uh, maybe I can talk to you to get into this one as well. Jack State at Sam Houston. The first true home game for Sam Houston as an FBS team doesn't happen until week five.
0: And is that is that game during the week? Yeah, Wednesday night. I uh I think you can talk me into it. Wednesday yeah. night. Uh, I'm in. I'll say it right now. I'm in.
1: First FBS home game, uh first conference USA game ever for for Sam Houston. Uh they play one home game before that, but it's at NRG, so it's not really like in Huntsville. Uh so I I'm super interested in how this goes. Uh one one of the reasons is like I don't even know where they're going to put the media. Like I have no idea. Like I don't know if anybody's has been to Bauer Stadium, uh, but it looks like a high school stadium. Like it just does. Like they have a lot of they have a lot of ways to go at, at Sam Houston before that stadium is ready. They're they're working on the money and stuff. It'll get good. Uh, but right now it is not, and I'm very interested to see how that goes. Uh, but I have to be there for that. And then week six, uh, AM, Alabama. Uh I missed the last one because AM had lost a game. And so I was like, well, I'll go to Texas OU. Right. I think both of those teams were undefeated. A and had just lost. And so it was like, well, they're going to lose to Alabama as well. So I'll just go to OU, Texas. I won't try to do the doubleheader. And then the Texas OU game, that was when Caleb Williams led that comeback against Texas and stuff. So it was a good game. Uh and then I got home just in time to watch AM beat Alabama at home and just like I could have been in Kyle Field uh watching that game and I was not. So that, that's one of my bigger, of bigger regrets.
0: That, I love the video of the kid that rushed the field at both places.
1: Yeah. I don't know I if should, you've seen that. Yeah. Like, that could have yeah. been you. That could have been me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't run very much anymore. You know, you're yeah. not going to see me rush anywhere, really. You know, like <laughs> even in my car, I'm not really in a rush. Uh, but yeah, I, I could have been at both. And I wasn't because I, I just assumed that that Alabama was going to win. And that was, a, that was a great lesson to relearn, right? Like every now and then you just need to be humbled uh, and realize that college football is awesome. And as soon as you think you know something, you don't know shit. And so uh, I say that as we just did a preview episode. I waited until the end, you know, so everybody listened before we admitted that we don't know what the hell we're talking about. We're guessing just like everybody else.
0: Yeah, it's college football is like the old uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper quote. Uh, just when they think they have all the answers, I change the questions.
1: That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Who was your favorite wrestler growing up?
0: So I was a big fan of Rey Mysterio. Nice. Uh, even, he's even still though, wrestling. Like, yeah, he's still wrestling, even though yeah. like, obviously, I can't do any of like the high flyer yeah. stuff. And I, I probably should have picked, like, a bigger guy as, as the guy. Like, I just loved Rey Mysterio. He was a giant killer. Yeah. Like, who doesn't love the underdog? Uh, and, like, his, his, his title run, uh, you know, in, in the WWE is still one of my favorite moments. I mean, just obviously not his run necessarily, but winning the Royal Rumble and then the title was just a, a really cool set of circumstances.
1: I was a uh, Piper Flair, Razor Ramon guy. I I always liked the heels. I always liked the trash talkers on the microphone that like made fun of the crowds. Like I'm a big MJF guy now for people who still watch wrestling, like dudes that just go and cut diss tracks and just like get the the crowd riled up and make fun of the baby face and stuff. I always hated Hulk Hogan. and, And I think that that opinion that I was a good judge of character early. Cause now it's like cool to hate Hulk Hogan for like real <laughs> reasons. Uh, but I just remember even being a kid and just being like, this is so phony. This is so dumb. Like this dude's not really eating vitamins to get that big or whatever. Like he's, you know, and so uh, anyway, I, uh, I still love, I still love professional wrestling, uh, but I am so glad that college football is here folks. Like we, like we don't have another weekend without football until January or really until like, if we count the NFL uh, until like mid-February. So uh, going to be an exciting time on the college floor. Are you excited for anything week zero? You got anything locked in uh, for week zero? You're going to use it for one more free weekend. How do you approach that?
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm probably going to be moving stuff uh, ah, during that's week true. zero, unfortunately. I mean, the good news is that I have until like uh, the end of the month to get all my stuff out of my apartment so I have a little bit of time, but I'm probably going to be using week zero mostly as a moving week. Uh, I will say I am excited to see Jacksonville state UTEP. I think that's going to be a fun, a fun little way to kick off Jacksonville state's time in, in FBS. And I think uh, it could be interesting to see what UTEP does this year too. So, uh, that's probably the game that I have kind of circled as one that I want to at least sit down to the TV and watch.
1: I will be uh, locked into UTEP. Go to TexasFootball.com if you want a uh, a post game description up there. I'll probably come up with like a three things we learn or some some kind of thing like that. Watch it. Uh, but yeah, they're the only team in the state playing. So I get to kind of uh, just watch the minors. Uh, I love UTEP. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm kind of like a honk for UTEP randomly, even though I went to UTSA and, and don't have any affiliation to El Paso. I would move there. Like if I if I could live in any big city in this state and make as much money as I need to like live the life that I live or whatever because you can't ever go backwards that's what sucks like when I first got into this business I, I think I made twenty seven five as a sports editor sports editor at the Taylor Daily Press and the Hutto News but I couldn't make twenty seven five again and so like I I don't know how I can get back to to UTEP or El Paso as a full time job but I love it out there uh, and I am excited to see how UTEP handles. Uh, Conference USA that is more manageable now for them than maybe it was uh, in the past. A little bit more even. You know, Liberty's got more money than everybody. But outside of that, pretty even. So uh, happy college football return on Saturday for week zero. Uh, Soak it in. I think a lot of times we get lost in this like, Oh, well this game doesn't matter. And that game doesn't matter. And those two teams stick. Who cares? We get 13 weeks of this shit. Like it's not a long thing. Like we don't get 162 games or anything like that. We complain for eight months about how we miss football. And then we complain that we don't have any big games in week zero. It's like, yes, we do go watch the football games. If you like football, uh, you like football, go watch a high school game, get out there and go watch a local high school game. I'm going to be at uh dripping Springs Vandegrift on, on Friday uh, to get out there and go watch some recruits and stuff like that. So uh, football is back. Uh, my mood is improved. Uh, and Jay Arnold is, is back in the heat and moving and uh, getting his penance from uh, taking a week vacation into the <laughs> mountains. So everything is right with the world. We will be back next week uh, to preview, this is going to sound crazy, week one of Texas A&M's football schedule. Crazy. Good times. Talk to you next week for Aggie War. Pod and for Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic Football Network. Peace.